And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Welcome to The Great Movies Pod, a retrospective film review show, the podcast where we watch and discuss each of the films covered in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. I'm Jana Gardner. I'm Nick Fulton. And I'm Dylan Quayer. This week, the movie we are going to be discussing is Belle du Jour, a 1967 drama film directed by Luis Buñuel and starring Catherine Deneuve, Jean Sorel, and Michael Piccoli. Based on the 1928 novel Belle du Jour by Joseph Kessel, the film, according to Wikipedia, is about a young woman who spends her midweek afternoons as a high-class prostitute while her husband is at work, <laughs> which is quite the one-sentence summary <laughs> of what this movie is about, um, if only it were so simple. Um, so, yeah, this is um, my first time watching this movie. I was pretty familiar with it by reputation, that it was, you know, a French erotic thriller, Dylan's favorite genre of films. Um, (laughs) So before we get into detail on the movie itself, uh, Dylan, tell us about (laughs) when you first watched this movie and your prior experience with it. Um, Well, I saw it probably in, I think it was ninth grade. I'm pretty sure it was ninth grade. Um, I wasn't super interested in it, but I only saw it because cause it was in the Roger Ebert book, and it was also it was also in this um, five hundred and one movies oh. to see before you die. Sure. Which was another book I had as a kid. Um, I was like, oh, I should watch it, and then I watched it, and I don't think I understood a lot of what was going on. I was just like, oh. Had a sure. cool as one as one shouldn't at age thirteen. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I understood only half of what was going on as an adult, so I can't I was even imagine. Fifteen as a teenager, I, I did repeat a year and and like I, I repeated kindergarten, so, so I was always on the still, older end. Still, <laughs> that's yeah. A... yeah. I don't think I really processed this. I was like, oh, they used the color red. Interestingly, sure. The, um, this, 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 I would say this movie experience watching it now was very, very different. Okay. That's um, fair. I I, I'm glad on the preview slash finale pod last season, I, I did clarify that, um, erotic thrillers are not my thing cause <laughs> woof, this was not my thing. <laughs> this is not your thing. I would, for this movie though, I would say that it is. Neither erotic nor thrilling. Right. Yeah, that's kind of one of the things, one of the objections I have as well with that description, which like, yeah. But it plays into a lot of the, like, facets of an erotic thriller. Yeah, there's there's definitely scare quotes around both erotic and thriller Mm. for me anyway. Yeah, Yeah, I feel like the Mike Myers and the coffee talk bit, like... (laughs) Erotic thriller, neither erotic Erotic nor nor thriller, thriller. please discuss. Yeah, this is not like... It's not a Brian De Palma movie. It's not like we're going to watch like Body Heat, you know. It's, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying you would like that either, Dylan, but um, it's just very different. Uh, it's yeah, sure. different than I was expecting, I'll say. So what about you, Nick? You'd seen this before? No, I had never seen this before. Oh. I've seen a few um, 
Bunuel movies before, and I've, I think I mentioned this on the air and not off air, like towards the end of our last episode, but I've always been like a little bit cold on his movies. I don't think I've disliked any of his movies, but I also haven't really like gone nuts over any of his movies. Sure. Um, but this is the only, like this is the most recent of his movies that I've seen, and it's probably my favorite of them. I, I was actually really surprised at um, how much... I enjoyed this movie. I we'll get into um, like some of the surrealist mm-hmm. things that he uses, but I think he's definitely like, especially compared to something like Unchan Andalou, but even um, like Exterminating Angels probably was my favorite, which I think we're getting to in a few mm-hmm. months later in this book. Um, but even this is like pretty tame compared to movies like those or Lodge Door. And I think it helped. I don't know. It, it it made it a little bit more accessible for me. And in a lot of those other movies, there's not really like a character to latch on to. Whereas in this one, there's definitely a, a protagonist who's the focus sure. of nearly the entire movie. And it's by a very good actress. So the, like the emotional in uh, to this movie, I think is much easier than some of the other things that I've seen of his. So sure. I, uh, I dug it. What about you, Jenna? Yeah, I I actually dug it too. Um, like I always say, I kind of want to watch it again to get a better sense of what I really think about it. Um, I'm very much the anti Pauline Kale in that way. Um, mm. I just I I just didn't know what to expect. Um, and so, but I think you're right that it's really that lead performance to me that was the in that really sort of held it together. Even though there were moments where I was kind of just literally putting in my notes like wait is this happening what's happening here um and i think part of what appealed to me and maybe this you like this too is a lot of it felt very lynchian kind of um not you know i mean obviously pre (laughs) david lynch but yeah there were some of those vibes some of these scenes where i'm like okay this is disorienting in a way that i enjoy watching kind of like Mm -hmm. some of lynch's work is and so you know i have thoughts but overall, I, I kind of liked it. So Dylan's ready for a fight. I don't, I don't want to fight. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm too tired. I can't do it. I mean, you know, I, I, I always have strong opinions on things, but I never like the confrontation of having to defend <laughs> them. I generally rather just kind of keep to myself about that. No, I, I get the same way, especially when something that I – when it's something that I don't like, like if it's something that I really like, it's easier to have the oh, energy yeah. to really like fight for it. But like, it's not really mm-hmm. fun to sort of just be fighting against something that you didn't like. That's Especially, how I felt in the apartment. Yeah. I was just like, oh, I feel like such a <laughs> stick in the mud. Yeah, like, like, I don't want to be fun. this. I don't want to be this guy who, who, the only person who doesn't like this movie this that sweet everyone movie. loves. Yeah, yeah. At <sighs> least, at least with the. Uh, on this one, Dylan, it's not exactly like an apartment level sort of beloved holiday movie type classic. <laughs> I don't I think. know. I kept on like, I was trying to find some sort of like, not necessarily negative critique, sure. but um, I was I, I was like looking for different pieces of writing at least mm-hmm. on people's thoughts on the movie so I could get a better idea of what people really liked about it and what people didn't like about it. And what I found was mm-hmm. there was absolutely nothing that people didn't like about it. And there was just only positives I, that I was running across. I have was to like, imagine. There's got to be, I mean, and maybe it's just harder to find, but like there's got to be some sort of modern 
critical takes on this I movie, I would think. At least just from the context, and we'll talk about this, um, but just the fact that this is a movie made by a 67-year-old man, <laughs> like, telling this yes. story. About a 23-year-old um, Right, about a 23-year-old yes. woman. And, like, you just, I just am surprised, genuinely, that there's not more out there, at least I taking it too. on from that angle. Especially that's... with my reaction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that said, um, of the, like, women I follow on Letterboxd, all yep. of them seem to either really like it like a number of them gave mm-hmm. five stars mm-hmm. i think the lowest one i saw was three and a half yeah and then on on rotten tomatoes i i was curious i i, I didn't see a pauline kale um, i couldn't find on one this, which is which is I unfortunate searched. i, I would have loved to have seen her opinion on her this. take yeah um but the only negative review from the critics side was by somebody named steve rhodes and his little like one sentence synopsis summary that they give for his review is I found the story unbelievable and very dated, which I guess we can talk about. Or no, actually there was a second one. Oh, th- actually, uh, okay. There's there's one by a, a woman named Rita Kempley for the Washington Post. Uh, and her, her little summary is the director may have been ahead of his time, but he displays no more compassion for uh, his characters than a psycho killer shows for his victims. Wow. Okay, that's a take. Okay, that's that's strong. Uh, so I, I might lean on the latter review in the way I'm <laughs> reacted to this movie. Yeah, like the the bit about of it being unbelievable. I guess we can yeah. talk. I'm not. I, I I unbelievable and dated is a weird critique to me. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't know what he specifically. I'm not going to read his whole review. <laughs> You're but, like, I don't uh, care. Well, because the Rotten Tomatoes, when you link, when they link to their stuff, like the links never work. Right. So yeah. you have to like go digging, and half the time they're not even accessible. So, I mean, we, we I can guess as to the things that he thinks are unbelievable, mm-hmm. um, which is probably not something that uh, this guy should be. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah. Making <laughs> opining on. on. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of the stuff that I found that was like discussing this movie very positively was like oh isn't it so like original to show a innocent beautiful woman has sexual fantasies and oh isn't it so amazing that the brothel isn't this some exotic hidden away place and it's just a house or it's an apartment complex it's like any suburban house and i was like i even fucking think about that when i was watching this movie that's so boring to be shocked by things like that like this is not the 1930s people yeah and so i do wonder you know the book it was based on a book that was written in 1928 so i imagine at the time like that must have been like that must have been legitimately shocking i'm assuming i don't know you know in that age but right by the late 1967 in france yeah Mm -hmm. it's yeah it's just it plays with obviously a very common just trope right it's like oh she appears so innocent but underneath she really has all these you know urges and fantasies and you know desires and so who knew yeah Um, so um ebert compares this to um eyes wide shut mm -hmm. in his yeah review and i actually before having read that i like while watching the movie i did think of eyes wide shut because um like the best summary i ever 
saw about Eyes Wide Shut is, uh, you guys have both seen that, right? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, but it was mine. I think I watched Eyes Wide Shut in tenth or eleventh grade. <laughs> so again, I don't think I completely understood. That movie's even harder to understand than the, this one the, too. The so whole, the, yeah, yeah. Well, so uh, this this summary of um, Eyes Wide Shut just said that that's a movie about what happens to a man when he discovers for the first time that his wife has sexual fantasies. Mm-hmm. He just like, he, he loses his mind he and he- Actually loses his mind, yeah. And goes on cult. a, I mean, it's kind of it. Like she, yeah, she yeah. basically I mean, describes a sexual fantasy she, and he goes out and like- Oh, I liked the sailor. Oh, yeah. I must join a sex cult. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a natural reaction. Yeah, so conversely, um, from Severine's husband Pierre's point of view, this is what happens when you don't realize that your wife, when you never find out that your wife has sexual fantasies. Here's what here's what happens to you and what what goes on with your marriage. Oh boy, do you pay the price? Yeah, and I like I don't think um, he's necessarily at fault. He's a little bit like oblivious, but he's not a mm-hmm. a bad person. But no. I don't know, like like. He, he just like whatever he's it was <laughs> it was actually unclear to me sort of what what he knew or what he thought her deal was or how like obviously he thinks she's like cold and you know right. they got those classic twin beds that you know they she kind of is apologetic for that mm-hmm. they don't seem to have a sexual relationship in any way um and he makes a couple of comments especially at the beginning about her like either daydreaming or, or having fantasies or something but i you know oh the carriage I, again the carriage yeah oh, the carriage again yeah and it's like well, yeah i guess i just wasn't entirely sure what he knew or how much yeah, about her I, I whole get, deal i get the impression that he doesn't know right. everything mm-hmm. otherwise he would act much differently towards her. i would hope like their their relationship i think is really interesting because um she's very like cold or, or not interested in like having a sexual relationship with him like right. towards like in the first you know most of the movie really but especially the first half and it seems like his reaction to that is to do what like it would generally be considered the nice thing which is like be, he's relatively patient with her he gives her space he doesn't try to force anything on her yeah. um and the the irony or the paradox of their relationship is in this case um he would have been better off had he right that's what she wanted (laughs) but he doesn't know that's what she wanted and so that's kind of the the paradox of their relationship the the nicer he is and the more patient he is the worse off their relationship more distant she's going to be from him yeah and that's not really his fault and it's not her fault either um it would be better if i guess they could like communicate these things openly (laughs) um but you know like it's that that's like sort of if if like not being able to communicate something that's really like awkward and uncomfortable for her clearly mm-hmm. um is like the biggest sin she commits like yeah. well <laughs> you know um, i know what you mean <laughs> like that's that's kind of a minor mm-hmm. thing for uh how much they end up paying for it in the oh, end oh yeah Look. oh definitely yeah the um I, I think that it raises the question of what is the moral takeaway of this movie? Like, what I is the lesson really learned? Strong, 
really strong <laughs> feelings on that. The ending was is deeply strange in a way that I did not see coming. Uh, so I mean, we we will get there. Yeah, um, yeah. but I yeah, d- it I do does wanna... raise questions about that. Yeah, I do want to respond to something that Nick said though. I I think the biggest problem is Pierre sort of gaslights her whenever she does try to communicate. Like he's she's obviously brought up the carriage and whether or not how much he knows about her carriage fantasy, he's just like, "Oh, it's just your fantasy. I'll kiss you on your forehead." And stuff. But like also it comes in small moments like when um they see the the creepy dude uh, in the ski um, lodge at the very beginning. Mm. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, they've already seen us. We must go talk to them. And she's like, no, he makes me feel really uncomfortable. And he's like, oh, don't worry. He, it's fine. Like, there's... Yes, he is kind of just this oblivious dude. But mm-hmm. he's, he's... He's, like, actively putting away anything she sort of thinks or feels in small moments. And I think that's kind of what leads to the disconnect there between the two. Sure. And I think maybe that's that's probably emblematic of the time a little bit, although I think there's probably a lot of Mm -hmm. relationships that are still that way too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, where she does express concerns and he, yeah, basically blows them off or just kind of is like, yeah, no, it's fine. Um so yeah, he he could be better listening when she does put signals out there about her her feelings. So I think that's fair. Yeah, I, w- I mean, I I w- wouldn't say that he's a, a perfect husband, but he's certainly, <laughs> um, like he he seems to be a generally good person. And and like when you take the sexual stuff out of it, she and him seem to get along pretty well. In the yeah. moments that we do see yeah, them, she really. True. She have a really nice does. Life. <laughs> yeah, she like she's you never get the sense that she doesn't love him. And mm-hmm. I guess I mean we can like start from the beginning, but um she really does seem to care for him and she shows affection for him just not in uh the typical way that you would expect. Right. Yeah, and it's and that sort of plays throughout too like you said at the beginning and then all the way through the end, you know, she she does love him and obviously feels bad about what she puts him through and eventually inadvertently subjects him to um but yeah it is it is interesting and that's one thing the movie could maybe explore more i don't know then it would be more like eyes wide shut um if it actually explored sort of the why of you know why she can't connect with him oh i have a big why problem but all right well i'll save it for later i'm sorry We need to no, get into the fine. plot, at least. It's fine. Yeah, let's yeah. start at the, the beginning. The why issue is actually one thing I don't like about this movie. Yeah. We'll... Well, yeah, there's... Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, so we'll start at the beginning. And I I try to take notes, but there's just a lot of stuff that happens in the middle of this movie. So feel free to jump in and tell me about weird stuff that I was just staring at and forgot to write down. But the movie does start off with one of these fantasy sequences, um, which is not obvious at first necessarily that it's a fantasy sequence. I at least wasn't sure. Uh, you know, I was watching and I was like, oh, wow, okay, nice couple out on a carriage ride. And then, <laughs> you know, and I was watching it with Matt and at first I was like, is this actually happening? Are they in a carriage? What time period is this set? Like, is this a vacation? <laughs> and then it um, just takes a real turn. And I will say I sort of 
fell for it at the beginning. Basically, they're on this carriage ride, and um, the, he wants her to get out, and she won't get out of the carriage. And then the carriage drivers get involved and drag her out and end up binding her and dragging her out into the forest and, like, whipping her, essentially. And it took me a second to be like, okay, this is a dream. Uh, but like I was saying, since I had been prepared for this to be an erotic thriller, I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Maybe this is just what their life is like. <laughs> interesting relationship. And then, no, that was, it was all a dream. And this is the beginning of a bunch of things that recur throughout the film. Mm-hmm. So there's the carriage and the carriage bells. She makes a reference to cats. Like one of the things she's shouting is, please don't let the cats out. And then there's just repeated references to cats so throughout cat the movie. References. Yeah, you just so hear many. cats meowing. Cats <laughs> meowing, cats coming up in dialogue. And uh, Roger mentions in his essay that this is one of the things that doesn't really get explained, that it just sort of comes throughout. I feel like I'm going to be referencing his essay a lot more than normal just because <laughs> a lot of interesting things to say on this one. Um, but yeah, and so she has this fantasy and then basically... Um, we see their lives. They're sort of sad twin beds. He acknowledges the fantasy, like we said. And then the next thing is they're on this vacation with, and they, they're with the one friend and they encounter, is it Hussan? Hussan. Hussan is the older gentleman that they end up having lunch with. Played by um, Michelle Piccoli, who, who just died like recently really weeks ago yeah yeah um he was in uh he's been in a a bunch of like popular french films um he was in contempt he was in uh um young girls of rushfort and in that movie so that was like the thing that i'd seen him in most recently he's very like cute and sweet in that oh. movie and then seeing him in this i was like whoa <laughs> i liked him like i liked his performance in this movie i think he does a good job of being kind of menacing and then at the same time you can't really get a read on him on just how menacing yeah. he is if he's just creepy or if he's actually sort of up to no good i found the holy a, motors maybe oh i i wouldn't remember him from holy <laughs> motors because he would be like 50 years older than, yeah than he would the last be quite old by then yeah um, th- this is a quote, like right after he passed away, from uh, Glenn Kenny, who's a mm-hmm. like a Ebert, a, a Ebert Roger Ebert dot com writer, and he writes for New York Times too. Um, he loves Belle du Jour. He actually had it on his um, be, uh, Sight and Sound top ten list in twenty twelve. Uh, he said he's he epitomized the bourgeois home moyen sensual, which I uh, I sure. looked up the term is a a term for like. He's basically calling him like a a basic dude. Okay, all right, sure, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, he said he epitomized that through Boonwell's sardonic refraction, only a small portion of his magnificent contribution to cinema. Um, so I thought that was a, a nice little quote. Yeah, yeah, I I like his energy in this movie, and at that initial sequence where they're having lunch, just that line he walks, I think, where he's charismatic, but. You can tell why he makes her uncomfortable, <laughs> why mm-hmm. Severine, um, our main character, does not like to be around him. But they have this conversation, um, and this is, well, I can't remember if it's before or after the lunch. Is it after the lunch when they're talking about their 
the the one the female friend like yeah. they they have a, a third friend basically who is turning tricks as the <laughs> the other woman describes it saying that she you know is a you know she's one of them basically and they have this long conversation about how you know there are these houses these bordellos and they are, they exist and can you imagine a woman like us doing that um, I particularly enjoyed their having this conversation in the back of the and taxi. The, cab, the, the cab, cab driver's like, like, I know about oh, yeah. it. I can tell you all about Bordellos. He just, he's so thrilled <laughs> to be able to join this conversation. I, re- I, I laughed at that. I thought that was really funny. I, I like that touch a lot, though, just from like a like a class point of view. Sure. And when they're eating dinner, the, the woman actually says of um, Husan that she says his main illnesses are being rich and idle. Mm-hmm. And that's that's also true for Severine. Like she's very like, what does she do other than um, like this second life of being yeah. a prostitute? Like she doesn't really have a lot to do. It seems right. Um, I mean, this was a big. That's like a big theme of so much mid-century, especially you know books and movies. The bored housewife, mm-hmm. you know, got the rich doctor husband. She's twenty-three years old, yeah. and her entire life ahead of her is just being this doctor's wife and she doesn't appear to have any independent yeah. anything. and that's it's very like Boonwell too like the, it's like he he loved to do stuff about class or at least in in the things i've seen mm-hmm. um but it's funny that the the two women seem in the cab seem to be like oh my god could you believe this like is that uh-huh. a thing mm-hmm. <laughs> and the cabbie's just like Oh, it's a thing. Right, like, yes. <laughs> it's a, a, large, a large part of my job is driving people to these places. Well, that's what made me laugh, because at first when he's like, it's a thing, I was like, is he really going to tell them about all the bordellos like he frequents? But then it kind mm. of comes back around. It's like, oh, no, that's part of my job. I'm just constantly yeah. driving you know, people to and from these locations. Um, and I think that's a good point, that it's a good example of how their life is just completely sheltered from things that are actually happening you know to the other people in the city um and so after that they return home oh and this is uh so husan continues to be creepy he sends her some really ugly roses <laughs> like it's just truly <laughs> bizarre well it's like these like weird spindly like bouquet of roses that she is just disgusted by um, and wants nothing to do with and is just feeling very uncomfortable that he's displaying all this interest in her. And um, they do run into each other, though, not that long after that at the tennis courts. And it is France, so obviously they're playing on clay tennis courts. Um, Great-looking tennis outfits. I have a lot of note, a lot of notes about all of the outfits in this movie, by the way. Um, more, most of Severine's wardrobe was designed by Yves Saint Laurent, and it looks like it, like beautiful, high-end, just like sharp jackets and sweaters. And she looks amazing. They all have amazing sweaters. Um, but I, I noticed that throughout, but especially in the tennis scene, just like nice preppy tennis outfits. But they have you know this conversation with Hussan, who basically tells her, gives her the address for this brothel, which I watched this last night and i can't remember how did that conversation initiate did he bring it up did she bring it up i can't even remember all of a sudden he just like gave her the address <laughs> yeah I, because it's cool. yeah yeah it, it's it's not very natural <laughs> it's not the type of thing that i would bring up in conversation right um 
I, at all. But and so <laughs> this is honestly, kind of, it felt so forced expository yes. to me. Yeah, like, yeah. I was that's like, I think that's what my issue was too. Who did the reread on this script and gave it a good <laughs> check mark <laughs> and said, "Yeah, well." And so what's interesting, I think, is that when I was watching it, and I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit because this is part of my confusion but when i was watching it i was like oh okay like he knows what she's all about and he know like he knows she wants to go there and he's gonna send her there but then later on he seems shocked and confused to find her there so i'm like well then why did you tell her about it in the first place if now that you are and not just shocked like, tell her about it casually but like give her the address. the address give her the address not just yeah. flirtatiously mentioning it right it's one thing if he just was being a creeper and like hey there's a place but to basically give her directions <laughs> and then so yeah i had assumed it's because he knew you know or, or suspected what her deal was but that didn't seem to be the case so I'd, I'd made the same assumption mm-hmm. thinking that he was like, he, he kind of had a sense because he right. seems to be like skeezier than mm-hmm. Pierre. Yes, definitely. So maybe he's trying to push her in this direction, but he seems to be more interested like throughout the course of the movie in her, um, like her severing. Like if, if we think about her as like almost two different people or personas, there's like mm-hmm. the severing persona who's like this, you know, upper middle class, mm-hmm. very like prim and proper um, hair up and everything. And right. then Belle du Jour is like the, you know, her id. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems to, like I was under the impression that he's trying to drive mm-hmm. Severine to be right. Belle du Jour. Mm-hmm. But when he finds her, he seems to be upset and wanted her to have stayed the prim and proper person right so is he is it just poor writing or is there something about like how it's also um irony with what he wants where he he thinks he wants her to be this person until he actually sees it and dislikes it but right. I, I mean like maybe but then why I, think would he be of, I think that's kind of i think that's kind of yeah yeah i think be- I think that's a generous it, it, reading, and I don't, I don't I, buy that. Reading. I know, yeah. I, I, yeah. I want to look at it that way, but I think, like you said, I, I think to Dylan's point, it'd be one thing if he wasn't surprised, but he sort of acknowledged, oh, this is not like I thought it would be. Yeah, he's but like, no, mm, he's just like, I can't believe this is happening. It's <laughs> like, oh. yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate because sure, I don't, no. I don't, I don't buy that reading, and I think it is just kind of sloppy storytelling in this mm-hmm. bit to have him. Also, because there's a million other ways she could have found out about right. They were the talking place. about they a friend. Could have, they could have bumped she could have bumped into her on the street and seen where she was, or watched her go in, or you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I don't. I totally agree with you guys <laughs> that the, that that little bit. And granted, like in the scheme of things, who cares? Like it's a right. dumb little thing, right? Uh, but it is a little bit. Yeah, sloppy. but it sets the whole fucking movie up. <laughs> it it does, yeah. And I, I like and I then it kind it, of reveals to the con like the. The, the, oh my god, the climax of the movie. Right. Yeah. So, well, yeah. It didn't I, bother honestly, me. Honestly, I, I think they were trying to do that. Like, I think that's the reading they were going for. Mm-hmm. And because they made a sucky movie, it came out really bad. <laughs> I guess, and the only other reason why I'm kind of willing to go with the devil's advocate position is, I, I think they didn't pull it off, but it has to be what they were going for, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. A, a well-made movie he's like it's like with competent people it can't it have does been just look that very good. intentionally nonsense yeah it does look good so autumnal from the, from so the many, sets like, to the costumes yeah i, I actually 
like one of my complaints about the other and I don't know if it's just like him diving into color because every other Boone well I've seen has has been black and white, but mm-hmm. this is by far his best looking movie that I've seen. Yeah. Like not even close. He, which is he's part very of, careful about where he puts red in the movie and when mm-hmm. he puts red in the movie. Which I think it would be very interesting to do an entire like analysis about like when the red pops up. Mm-hmm. Um, just like when the train whistle happens in Apu, I could get all. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But um, I can't honestly, though, say the cinematography itself was. I don't know. I didn't like the shots they picked out in some scenes. And I wish I'd taken more notes on that, but. They just seem to leave a lot out. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. This is not something I'm going to really argue for. It just felt <laughs> uncomfortable for me. Like, they do this, like, weird high above Dutch angle on the mm-hmm. poker table at one point. And, I mean, Bunel's always shooting things super f- freaking weird. But, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't get it. That just might be me. It just it, it didn't gel with me. But I, I will say they, they used color and a lot of the visual aspects very well. Yeah, the, the, mm-hmm. the set design, the art decor, you know, I think, like, speaking of the scenes in the brothel, um, the costumes were good, the hair, like, you know, the basic stuff. Like, it looked mm-hmm. good. Um, I think there were some things about the way that the apartment brothel was shot that I might have liked a little bit like i don't know what i wanted it to be different i'm not doing a good job of articulating i can't describe why this is either wrong feeling to me or the way i felt this way but it felt like you know on sitcom sets where they have to shoot it at really weird angle because they're all using Mm -hmm. it's a Mm -hmm. it felt like a multi-camera set sure like the angles we were just getting the rooms kind of from like one side like the way you only see profiles 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 and if it's like shooting from above it's like i don't know yeah yeah, I could see that. Um, but it's... So speaking of, it's right after she gets this address um, is when she decides to go investigate the mm-hmm. brothel. Um, and she dresses in this, you know, head-to-toe black, dark sunglasses. Um, Ebert describes it as like she's dressing for her own funeral. Um, you know, possibly delineating the difference between Severine and sort of becoming this new person as Belle de Jour. Um, yeah, and also, I think yeah. when when she's at the tennis club, isn't she in all white? Like mm-hmm. it's a very yeah. like stark. It's a very stark. Contrast. Yes, all yeah. They they do that with her a lot with sort of yeah. all white. One then, of, yeah, one of my favorite shots in this movie is actually when she walks into the apartment and it's just focusing on her shoes as she walks up and mm-hmm. she walks up the steps turns turns away for a second and then turns back and keeps walking up the steps but you never actually see or maybe you see her like as she's walking Mm -hmm. up but the focus is not on her face it's just Mm -hmm. on her body language i like that shot a lot that's actually the 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 disc menu thing that loops over and over again on criteria oh that's cool Mm. i i did see when i was reading through the absolutely terrible imdb trivia section for this movie (laughs) um which take a take a gander at that if you just want to like (laughs) be worried about people on the internet um but and you would know nick better than i would since i haven't seen any others but does bunuel have a foot thing like does he have a a tarantino style foot thing because that's kind of what indb trivia was alleging but other than the one shot with the the shoes nothing stuck out to me 
I saw people mentioning that, like, just in looking stuff mm-hmm. up from this movie, but it, I mean, maybe I'm just used to the Tarantino. I was going to uh, say. Extent of it. <laughs> if it's so um, much more subtle, it's not Tarantino, it doesn't even stick out anymore. Yeah, not that I can think of, but, you know, I haven't seen a lot of his, mm-hmm. um, like, some of his most famous movies, um, I haven't seen it all, so maybe maybe I just haven't gotten his uh, his foot heavy ones, sure. or maybe uh, I just don't remember um, that. Yeah, bits. Uh, there is something in here. It says her the her famous shoes were designed by Roger Vivier, so credit to shoe designer. Um, Good for yeah, him. I. It's also right around this time when she goes to. The brothel for the first time and i'm just going to bring it up now because we to bring it up eventually that she starts having these flashbacks these memories of um <laughs> dylan is raising his hand he would like to speak on this um you you could take it first but well just it uh she seems to be having these memories of apparently being molested or abused when she was a young girl um and they are juxtaposed in such a way where the film seems to be heavily implying that you know this is why she is the way she is. Um, and they, they How the fuck are people okay with that in nowadays? Like, Yeah. I um, was so uncomfortable with the way that was portrayed. Yeah. And, and they revisit I mean, it, too, with the young girl who was in this movie. Yeah. Where there's a couple of scenes where you have to sort of stop and be like, wait, is this another memory? Oh, no, this is a, a different girl. And yeah. Yeah, it's I, awkward. I mean, I'm not saying, like, people that were sexually abused won't have, like, exaggerated sexual fantasies. Like, that could definitely happen. Like, mm-hmm. but the movie's implication that it's because of that or not exploring, like, how she's had to deal with that sort of trauma mm-hmm. herself is so disgusting that I, 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 have no, I have no other words. Like, it's just, it was horrifying. I the whole movie lost me with that. This and is- especially because, like, then the other flashback she saw was, like, she's at priest. She, she's at mass. Oh, and yeah. the priest is giving her the, um, the body of That was, like, first communion. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she doesn't want to eat it. And she's like, oh, she can't accept the purity. Which I don't even get that. Because usually he's, like, skewering the hell out of religion. And this one, it's like, oh, she was sexually abused and she won't take the body of Christ. In, in purity and no i no no i think that is thing. so i i don't like that they try to um explain why she has these masochistic tendencies i think especially for a movie that like doesn't really seem that interested in giving explanation to a lot yeah. of things it, yeah it doesn't need to be there it's just it's extremely it, unnecessary it doesn't need to be there and maybe this was like i don't know how like i don't think freud was that big at this time i think that was this was kind of like post his his peak in um the arts but maybe mm-hmm. i'm wrong Stupidity. Um, but it, it it definitely does have like that freudian like tinge where you know uh repressed memories and this mm-hmm. and that and yeah. it, it like the things that happen to you as a young person um end up snowballing into different things when you're older but like it doesn't one it doesn't need to be there mm-hmm I mean, I don't even have a two. It just doesn't need to be. <laughs> just That's the there, same yeah. way I felt. It's, it's, just, just, it's gross. Yeah. And a sentence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, 
if we do have to accept that that scene is there, though, I actually do like the second part, uh, the second flashback. Um, I, like, I would rather just have neither of them. But the the Catholic thing, I think, is interesting um, because I think he is sort of skewering not like religion as an institution itself, but more like this Catholic guilt because that's sort of like um mm, okay i did a, yeah. i did a little bit of reading on because I, I went on like a rabbit hole because i remembered in high school actually we read a short story um that margaret atwood wrote uh i think it was 10 years before handmaid's tale even um called rape fantasies mm. and i remember at the time thinking well we sh- we probably shouldn't be reading this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're, we're children like i am a child so I, I looked that up, and, and um, on the Wikipedia page for that, uh, one of, like, the bolded links was, um, like, about other rape fantasy stories, and then that, not even as a story, but as, like, a, a thing. And apparently it's, like, and I'm, I, like, I am not an expert, and I'm just... <laughs> You know, don't don't cancel me. I'm just <laughs> recounting what I read on a Wikipedia link. Uh, but okay. apparently it's, yeah, apparently it's a not uncommon thing. And people have theorized that it's um, sort of about how, like, society puts pressure on women of, like, I, I'm not telling you guys things you don't know. But, <laughs> like, society puts pressure on women to be virginal or to be, like, the way Severine is perceived. Um, so it's theorized that it's sort of like a coping mechanism Mm -hmm. where they can still have, they can still like enact sexual fantasies, but without feeling guilt of having those fantasies. Right. Yeah. It's Um, basically a way of sort of exerting control over the situation, like sort of re yeah, sort of reclaiming. Yeah. yeah, Like Like, reclaiming. Yeah. Yeah. Reclaiming sort of, you can processing that you have this desire, but yeah, you've been conditioned that you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to want it. So then you're, fantasy is of not wanting it because that's yeah, what yeah. you've like been conditioned to you won't do. get in trouble since right. you didn't actually want it and it's like yeah you know this is all just for me reading it's it seems very and messy can, and, there are like i mean thousands of pages like, i mean there's like entire textbooks and courses about this stuff so it's yeah. you know there's a lot there to unpack how, how much do you think boone well understood these <laughs> ideas oh, so, and- <laughs> i feel like he must have because the catholic the the communion thing seems to be reflecting that i think and that's why if you have to put in the first part which you don't have to put in the first part mm. but i do kind of like the second part as you could even have the second part without mm-hmm. yeah uh, without the first you could part just say honestly. she was raised with catholic guilt and so she was just conditioned to think sex is bad yeah, not yeah, not yeah. that she experienced something that would physically make her have that reaction but she could she could feel that or way at least without ex- us yeah. explain it more like yeah that's a deeply this disturbing movie's not thing. interested in explaining i know much but like, yeah I, whatsoever yeah i don't want it to explain it more and i think that it it is already explaining too much like yeah. with uh maybe better with, off just leaving this yeah yeah it's it's kind of like um I mean, Scorsese does this in all of his movies. But, <laughs> Talks and, about uh, Catholic guilt? Really? In Scorsese? <laughs> yeah, I don't, know if, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. I don't know if uh, I picked up on it. <laughs> or Martin Scorsese. But, like, really the best one is just um, in Mean Streets when Harvey Keitel just, he, I think he's in a church and he just holds his hand above the candle. 
and you're supposed to like you know you can put together that what he's thinking about by being that close to a fire mm-hmm. um and that's that's all you need and i think if you <laughs> if you cut out the beginning and you just the beginning of uh, her a flashback mm-hmm. and you just yeah. have her not eating the cracker that's all that's all you need mm-hmm. that'd be enough right to to put in to put in like where it's more societal rather than like a past horrible trauma like uh unearthing itself as an adult because i don't like that reading of it it's just i don't i don't either i guess what i'm saying is if you wanted to make a woman coping sexually with sexual trauma in her past um i don't mind that being brought up and examined but i hate it when it's brought up and then not like developed or thought about or given any care at all and it it really it really turned me off from the movie and especially that after that ebert's like oh boonwell completely understands the sex of a woman and that it is all about herself and i was just like i i shut the fuck up yeah that that paragraph it's the second paragraph of the the ebert essay right is where he sort of starts off by saying um you know yeah he was 67 when the film was released and he knew one thing that most most directors never discover you know and then goes on to describe his impressions of her sexuality the direct, which, yeah and yeah i mean we've had like some complaints about even the past specifically like gendered complaints yeah but i i'd like i was like respect dented a little bit on this on this take it um, is i mean what's i guess what's interesting about it not to um make excuses for our our dear patron saint roger here but like like you were saying there is surprisingly little criticism of this right like I know, and that's why me having these, like, really strong, disturbed emotions to this, and not saying that wasn't necessarily the director's intent, I'm Mm -hmm. sure that the director meant some form of that, but... And I think it's just, I mean, I I think part of the difference of how you feel about it is it's just inherently personal. Like, I I watch that, I go, this sucks, I don't like this is in here, but it doesn't, like, really ruin the movie for me. I just go, I I mentally can just kind of go, eh. I would like it better yeah. if it weren't there, but I'm able to sort of just move for, on. Yeah. yeah, for me, it's just like, oh, it's dumb. But also, how many times have you seen that? Like, as soon as you see that scene, you're like, I know. What this I know is. it's yeah, and that that is also the thing too. Is I, it's not surprising. I wasn't, I wasn't shocked yeah. by it. I was just like, oh, of course, this is the clumsily, you know, handled backstory that they're going to put in here. Yeah, it's really the last thing I dislike about this movie, though. I'm going to be honest. Like yeah. everything else is. Uh, there's some good shit coming up. There is. And so okay. when when shit gets good, I think, is when she first meets with the Madame at the house. Madame. She's nice, awesome. Who's the best she is character. Awesome. She, she's so She good. rocks. She's so funny. Her she energy from the moment she opens that door is mm. just like, who? Yeah. That, that's everything that happens. Well. I'm going to rephrase that. Let's say that like, everything <laughs> that happens at the brothel is great. I'm like, no, that's not how I want to rephrase that. But the energy, I do like the energy that the movie takes on when she gets there, when she meets with the madame and all of madame, madame. Anyway, Matt, I'll say madame because that's, I'm not a French person. Uh, when she yeah. meets with the madame um, and, you know, she's, 
she like reads her right away. She know like she gets Severine's deal pretty much immediately. That's one thing I found amusing is I thought like how often does this happen to her? Like, I mean, <laughs> I'm assuming that maybe she gets her uh, employees by women like refer- normally referring each other. Like you know, because she does not you know. When Severine shows up, she's just like, "Oh, okay, you're here for a job. All right, okay, seems, sure. seems good. You're pretty. All right." Like, <laughs> she does not seem suspicious or you know shocked or anything. And then even when Severine starts having second thoughts, the madam's just like, "No, you're gonna do this." Like at first, just because she can tell, like she can just read her, and then also because then she realizes, "Oh no, she wants me to tell her to do it," because mm. that's all part of the thing she, as well. She seems to figure her out very fast. Very like, quickly. She's she's someone who needs to be pushed around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does the, oh, I, you need a firm hand, I think is what she says to her. Yeah, um, yeah. But she basically realizes that, yeah, she wants somebody. That, what poor sad Pierre um, <laughs> has not realized is that, mm-hmm. yeah, Severine's looking for somebody to tell her what to do in most contexts. I'm going to... If I don't say, if I don't get this off my chest, I, I'm gonna regret not having made this joke. But <laughs> does Pierre remind you guys of like a poor man's Elaine Delon? Yeah, I was trying to figure out who he looked like um, throughout the movie. Um, the best we came up with was like a cross between Chris Pine and a young Robert Wagner. <laughs> was sort of what he okay. especially in some scenes he has like a bit of a young Robert Wagner vibe but um his frenchiness definitely makes him seem like kind of a poor man's yeah. <laughs> he's just so generically handsome like he just he yeah. just looks like a Ken doll like just he's a, just he, a handsome guy but he's like perfectly cast for this role yes. it's just like 100 percent yeah. Kind of like a handsome doof. Exactly. He's like, like the he... most boringly beautiful thing in the world. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like he's very attractive, but so boring. Like he doesn't, <laughs> yeah. which is not fair, but you know, ultimately, you know, at first he's kind of contrasted with Hussain, who is older and not as traditionally handsome, but I think kind of charismatic. And then obviously once Marcel shows up as the more sort of direct uh, counterpoint to him, who Marcel is, I'll say he's handsome. I mean, he's got the teeth situation going on, but he's he's definitely more handsome in a dangerous way as opposed to Pierre's handsome in a boring way. So I do think those parts are pretty well cast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically once she is in the brothel, there becomes just a series of, uh, Let's say incidents is not the word I'm looking for here, but different clients come through. Uh, yeah, different clients come through. Different situations unfold. Um, the madam convinces her to stay. Um, at one point, makes a drink that I was like, "What on earth is she doing?" And then it turns out they were cherry soaked in brandy. Um, and I was just like, "Okay, this weird French attitude." But um, she introduces her to the other women who are also there during the daytime. And this is when, when she first is starting off, Severine establishes that she can only be there in the afternoons. She's going to be there from two to five and then has to be home, presumably for her husband in the evenings. And that's when Madame uh, christens her Belle de Jour, as, as opposed to like, I can't pronounce the like Belle de Nuit, the lady of the night. She's lady of the afternoon. Um, and there's two other women that are there with her who I also think are kind of fun. 
the one woman with like the crazy red hair <laughs> and the other one with like the short dark hair and they kind of show her the ropes a little bit they kind of just seem like they're hanging out we see scenes of them like playing board games and smoking mm-hmm. and just sort of chilling like <laughs> in between clients like seems they seem pretty chill the one the one with the red hair actually has like a really sad story about how she has to do this because she has a fiance who was like injured like in a work accident or something and so he can't work and so this is what she does to support them and her fiance Mm. knows it and so it's interesting to get the contrast between sort of your more traditional like well this is how i support you know my sort of sad family versus whatever severine is getting up to mm-hmm. um and kind of well, explain supporting her own emotional <laughs> she she is she been yeah hiding yes she is expressing. expressing herself um the first client that we meet is this sort of <laughs> jolly round man um who i can't do they say he's like a candy like yeah, entrepreneur or something he's like a can he's like a candy factory um I will say I Willy like Wonka. very Willy Wonka. At one point, he actually has one of those like snake in a can things, and I yeah. laughed at it, and I felt so bad. I was like, <laughs> "Damn it, moving!" I was like, "Ah, they got me." Um, <laughs> but he's, you know, hanging out with all the ladies, and then starts to have the you know this is the first encounter for Severine, and you know she resists and doesn't want to do it, and this is sort of when the madam realizes that she needs to just force the issue for lack of better language there and um sort of you know makes it clear to her that no you don't get to pick your clients you know that's not that's not the deal you're not here to meet men like you are being paid and so we see a series of other people come through there's the one guy who's a doctor who comes in i think is the next client that was strange (laughs) He was very particular. My well, so my notes in there say this role play is very specific. How on earth (laughs) was she supposed to know? He's so mad that she doesn't know what she's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But it's obviously so scripted and specific. When the other girl comes in, it's like someone could have given her a heads up. She did. How was she supposed to know that that was her part in this thing? I just felt like, oh, shitty writing beats are. No, I I love that scene. I, I that scene. I, is... It's a good scene, but you, again, you, it's you like, like doctor why representation. They, why did they movies? explain it if they want the client to be happy? Why was she the one thrown in with such a specific thing? It's like it like it, it's an interesting scene that plays out. It's just again, it makes no logical sense to me. Yeah, it drove me crazy. It's just no, because no, because even even the girl who ends up replacing her, um, they're doing a lot of ad libbing because she tries to like take the thing from That's him, and true. he's like, "No, no, not yet." Yeah. Um, so she has to kind of feel he, out the she situation. She knows what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I so I love the um, the corollary between him and Severine because uh-huh. they're really like doing the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Like that's and that's why she's so bad at it. That's why when she's thrown into that situation, she, she can't do it. She can't do it. She can't, can't flip sadistic. the roles. Yeah. Um, so I, I love that contrast and he, the difference between the two of them is he's much better at it than mm-hmm. she is. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> one movie, the other movie that like this, um, made me think of, have you guys seen, um, the movie Duke of Burgundy from a few years ago? No, I haven't. I really wanted to, and I have not got a chance to see it. It's a really interesting movie. And the whole movie is sort of about this, like 
um, subdom. It's about lesbian lepidopterists, right? That's my yeah. understanding. Ladies yeah, who and, are into each other and butterflies. Yes. Got it. Uh, and the, the main relationship between the two is there's like the 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 dominant and the submissive. Uh-huh. Uh, but you learn throughout the movie that the submissive is actually the dominant and that she's forcing the other person oh. to be dominant on Interesting. Her. Okay, gotcha. And that reminded me so much of just this dude's like whole thing right. like even though yeah, he's playing yeah. even though he's playing the submissive character he's in control he's still wanting to be in control yeah. and ebert says something in his review about how she's always in control with marcel and i don't really see that like i don't yeah. i don't really buy that i was reading super I know. annoyed with that line <laughs> i know too. i know i know dylan's annoyed about this um and i i do agree i think roger's take specifically on the Marcel relationship. Yeah. I, I was well, like, that's just not my I need my to read save that all. for when Marcel comes Yeah, out. we'll we'll get to him not too far off. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, I, but I think fo- that is Severine's problem, is that she... Fo- yeah, but then following, um, like, when Severine basically gets kicked out of the room, which is hilarious when the that guy's just like, no. <laughs> nope, next. Move on. Um, she, the madam opens up a peephole, mm-hmm. which I think is a psycho reference. I feel like every peephole is a psycho reference. Sure. Especially the way they film the eye very close to it. Yeah. That, so, yeah. She, so she looks through the peephole. It's also the that, worstly hidden peephole I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. It's well, not really it hidden. As it's not really yeah. hidden. I think it's just there. <laughs> she, like, peeks into the peephole, and she's like, so? And and Severine's like, oh, it's disgusting. Yeah. And then she turns around and keeps looking. Keeps looking. Yeah. Well, that's it, her whole deal, right? Is, yeah. That's, that to me <laughs> is the movie in a nutshell. Yeah. She's like, oh, it's disgusting. But mm-hmm. I'm going back in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think. Right around here is where I have in my notes. Um, we mentioned it briefly earlier, but we start seeing the, I guess is the madam's sister and niece who are also running around the bordello. Is, is she I thought it was a, I thought it was a maid. I thought but it was she's, a maid She calls too. her her godmother. Okay, all right. So that's what I wasn't sure about because the woman was definitely like acting like a maid, and then I was like, mm. is that her niece? I yeah. But yes, there's a maid running around, and there is a 13 year old girl who, mad the madam seems to care about a lot, and she's like showing off her report card at one point, and um. Some of the dudes do some creeping on that girl just to yep. show, I guess, circle of life and how uh, all men in this movie are not great. Um, and then yep. it doesn't seem to really go anywhere beyond just sort of establishing that, like, this is a continuing problem for young girls. So that was fun. Um, yeah, and I, again, another moment of where you're like, why? Why is this disturbing here? sexual thing yeah. that isn't processed or thought of beyond yeah oh no how sure bad. yeah and then the la- other i think the last client we meet before we get to marcel and his mob friend is the um asian gentleman who With comes the, the box. <laughs> yes who um comes and seems like very sophisticated and i can't remember what if they say sort of what his deal is but he's some rich guy who is there presumably for work and uh has you can't really tell what his deal is but then he has this box and it is you know a classic 
MacGuffin, I guess, right. in this sense, in that you... It's again, it's like the Pulp Fiction box. It's the Pulp it's Fiction like, box. You are really trying to work this MacGuffin way too hard. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, but he opens up the box, and the other girls are not interested in going along with whatever it is that is in the box that implies is going to happen. And, you know, Severine is... And I thought the we, box. I thought the box was pretty funny. I think it's funny. I I like that scene. And I there's a quote that I found online somewhere, probably in IMDb trivia, uh, where Boonwell allegedly was always asked what was in it, um, and basically said like, "Whatever you want it to be, or it's whatever you think mm. it is." You know, basically That's the, the most same boring question to me. Like, I, of course I they're going to answer like that. Also, it does the point is that we don't know. Like that's as as right. is always as like in Pulp Fiction or any other movie that has this plot device. The point is that you don't know, and it probably doesn't really matter. Like <laughs> the point is just showing Severine's reaction, not you know what it actually is. Not not the point. Um, I will say. I, do, I feel like the box is sort of setting up the ending, mm-hmm. like in a way. You have yeah. this thing that's unexplained, so you should be on your toes to have something else, like sure. more something actually significant unexplained, other than sure. like this. What I assume is a sex toy. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> like, it, what, what could it actually be? Like, yeah, yeah um, it seems to vibrate. It does well. seem to buzz. Yeah. Um, I will say that I was. Anytime I'm watching a movie that's well, almost any movie, but definitely a movie that is 50 years old and a character, a non-white character arrives in the movie. I've like become very tense. I've realized now mm-hmm. where I'm like, oh God, what? Like, is this just about to get like super racist and uncomfortable? And so I was kind of holding my breath through that entire sequence and it was fine. Like it, it didn't seem to really, I mean, you could argue that like maybe there's some sort of like exoticism, like reason no, I, why, but I think yeah, I, didn't I don't feel think it, that. Yeah, I was yeah. Gonna say, I don't think they really I think, were playing off that. I think this is the first East Asian person to show up in any of our movies, so oh I'm God. just Probably. glad that... Well, we, no, no. <laughs> no? We had an Who entire we Vietnam fucking... Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. You're right. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, well then... Uh, <laughs> well, like, well... Okay, no, outside Granted, of like... Their... I don't know if any of them really have a big speaking role. Yeah, outside of... Uh, that gets shot. Okay, East Asian outside of uh, like... Of, their uh, home or yes, their, yeah, yeah, their yeah. native country yeah um so i don't know it's nice to see people <laughs> breaking like in repre- i guess into representation the... in um media As yeah yeah like well i feel like so we've made creepier. it could have been so much creepier that that was my only fear um yeah but then he's the one that creeps on the young girl yeah. 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 That's I true. thought that was, it was like a really interesting, like, sex positive encounter for Severin mm-hmm. in that yeah. scene. And then, and he then walks they out, cuts that and creeps on a Sexually creeps on a 12 year old. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. I don't think is a bad thing to show because men are really for creepy. Sure, but sure. also, it's like finally this really positive moment that yeah, she's able to. Yeah. Where she embraced the situation and then. Yeah. And it's just, this movie's a fucking mess to me, man. Well, if you think. It's a mess. Um, I believe it's right around here. At least the this is where week. I have in my notes, which is the next fantasy sequence, uh, which is this is like the most Lynchian um, to me sort of vibe <laughs> sequence in the movie. I had, 
zero fucking memory of this scene. Did you? <laughs> when watching it. I mean, so I, again, just like during the first scene, I still was like, wait, is this happening? I still, like, I shouldn't be. I should be a more sophisticated movie watcher than that. But again, I'm like, wait, but then who, how is this happening? Who are these people? I was like, oh, okay. This is just wait, another. which is the next scene? Because we did skip one of the fantasies where she has the mud thrown on her oh yeah whatever yeah <laughs> no i this is the one maybe I, this is i the, love that i love that one i yeah. thought that fantasy was i thought it was great and the way it's shot like with the quick cutting with the mud yes. hitting her i, I think was, this is, is the next scene the 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 guy well, the is funeral this a, well yes all, the funeral yeah okay. so the one yeah the mud one's right in here too um i have in my notes this dude looks like roger stone <laughs> uh the sort of undertaker I kind of guy same yeah yeah um there's a guy with a oh monocle um another reference to cats around mm-hmm. here when someone says shall i let the cats in which at the beginning what she said was please don't let the cats out so i i don't know i can't i can't keep up with what the symbolism sure. might be with the cats um but it just keeps coming back and yeah this is when she like gets into a coffin and it's just a lot of stuff going on (laughs) yeah so when she meets that guy is Mm. the boonwell um cameo when she's out in the cafe yeah yeah when she's at the cafe cafe. um when the guy is walking by you see Mm -hmm. boonwell sitting and like sipping coffee or something like that is every time there's a carriage is it a fantasy? Like, is that the running symbolism that when you hear the carriage or when, when a carriage is involved, that it's a fantasy? I was trying to keep track if that was the thrill. <laughs> Dylan is just yeah. doing shrug emoji uh, <laughs> motion. I don't think so. I thought it was only like the that specific carriage that mm-hmm. kind of bookends the movie. But this, yeah. one, like, I, I assume this whole scene is real. See, that's what I, I don't know. Like... Is this like moonlighting, or like is this like an elaborate, like in enraged encounter? That's the part I couldn't mm-hmm. tell. Where I'm like, is this was this a prearranged encounter? Is she just like winging it? Is what's happening here? Yeah, I I read it to be real, but I think it was in the audio commentary that apparently there's uh, like debate as to whether or not that's all part of her uh, fantasy because. He says something like, do you come here often? And she's like, oh, I come here every day. Right. And it's like, well, she doesn't come there every day. So is that part of her fantasy or is she just lying? I just took it to be that she was lying. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad that it is ambiguous, maybe mm-hmm. on purpose, because, yeah, I that was the one part to me where I'm like, okay, I just, I can't exactly tell what's happening, but I don't, like, I, I, I buy that that's intentional, I guess is what I'm saying. That it, you sort of start losing, especially in, like, the final act of the movie, everything gets mm. so heightened that yeah. it becomes just like more and more and more heightened that it starts to become um yeah hard to keep track of i will the say sh- one- the shot of her when she's in the coffin and the guy like goes underneath and it just starts shaking like god knows what he's doing I, and she yeah. just like kind of peeks over the right. edge yeah i that I laughed at that. I I laughed at that because, yeah, she gets in the coffin, and then once it starts shaking, it's like anything that you can imagine that's happening is uh, not great. So, just like Like, the best possible thing that could be happening is still terrible. It's still not something that you want (laughs) to be picturing. Yeah. Um, Oh, God, that whole sequence. Yeah. And we we sort of brush past, or I brush past the, the fantasy with the 
mud getting thrown on her, which is very consistent with the like purity versus like filthiness and mm. corruption. Oh, no. And yeah, yeah, it's not subtle. Um, potentially very silly question. There is, it's around this time when uh, she's out on the street and. Um, I can't remember if it was, it's, I think maybe after she meets Marcel, I can't remember, but she's out on the street and there's a guy walking down um, selling the New York Herald Tribunes. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that was just like a super prevalent thing that you encountered everywhere on the streets of Paris in the 60s or if it's or, a breathless reference. I, I, I thought it was a breathless reference. <laughs> okay, I have it I, on my notes. Okay, I wrote that too. I was like, breathless? And then like, or also maybe this was just like life in Paris. And I, I, I thought it was a reference. Okay, because that's my only like, familiarity. Like, I I don't know anything about the New York Herald Tribune or people I, shouting out selling it on the street, literally, other than It's very from specific. It's right? Okay. All right. I wasn't sure if I was reading too much into that. Especially when you brought up the people maybe being a psycho reference. I'm like, well, maybe he's just peppering in, like, contemporary film references. Yeah, I feel like it has to be. Like, right? it's too specific. It's too specific. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. I agree. Um, all right, and so now we're we're towards the final act of the movie, which is when she meets a young man <laughs> at the brothel, and it's it's him and like a associate, right? Like when they first come, there's like an older guy mm-hmm. with him too. Um, but so she meets uh, Marcel, who Dylan and I both agreed would be played by Killian Murphy if this movie were made. I did see someone Today. say that Timothy Chalamet should play him, and I could see that energy too. Ugh. Oh, yeah, I can see that energy too, but ugh. it would be gross, Timothy Chalamet. But it would be Timmy super gross. Yeah, the other person he looked like to me is Ed Westwick, which is like a super gross cursed reference because that dude is a nasty abuser. Um, but he was the guy from Gossip Girl, if anyone knows what he looks nope. like. Um, yeah, bad dude, but he has this very similar kind of dark energy. Um, and so, yeah. Ooh, that guy has a face. <laughs> Doesn't have a face. <laughs> has a, like, very sort of evil-looking face. It's so jaw-cut. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Mm. It's distinctive. Right. And so um, I had a note that it seems like Marcel is, like, it's, like, the first young guy who's come through or the first guy that is sort of remotely, seemingly, like, objectively attractive to her. Um, Marcel and his associate they order the the fight the champagne in for everybody and there's like a runner throughout the movie where the champagne's never cold which i thought was really funny she has all the champagne and every time she brings it someone comments on the fact that it's like room temperature basically at one point where they're like played with the guy and she's like oh the champagne is finally cold and it's like oh now we can start having sex right yeah and when someone has a like champagne above a certain number of degrees tastes like tea or something like that um i don't know i just found that amusing um yeah so she takes up with marcel um who is a gangster i don't know if they get more specific about what his like illegal <laughs> don't they when during their meeting like in the restaurant mm-hmm. doesn't he pass some uh cocaine oh yeah i think that's right so they're they're doing some kind of crime yeah yeah um oh I, I forgot to mention um looking at my notes here too that while before this happens before she meets marcel while she's been working at the brothel 
we actually start to see some improvements in her and Pierre's relationship. Yeah, like, they it starts actually thawing, kind of. Have presumably like it doesn't show right. them having sex, but but like she gets into bed with him. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. actually see her like choose to get into bed with him, um, and so it seems like, you know, maybe this has been like helpful for her in processing her her issues i guess right and that's that's like what i think is so interesting about this movie is that Mm -hmm. the the more she does what um like i guess common sense Mm -hmm. or whatever would would think that would be driving her or splitting the wedge between her and her husband is actually bringing them closer together right exactly um alas as things are improving on that front is when she gets involved with marcel who, mm-hmm. you know, she's very into because he is aggressive and, uh, you know, kind of is giving her what she has been looking for um, and basically takes up with him as a regular, on a regular basis. But he gets more and more aggressive and more and more yeah. sort of jealous and demanding and controlling um, to the point where it's not, you know... That's it's beyond what she. <laughs> I'm looking at Dylan <laughs> getting out Busting his out book. He's like, um, let me tell you. Um, but yeah, and so this basically, you know, is untenable for her. Mm. Um, do you have some thoughts about the Marcel relationship, Dylan? Uh, for that matter, she knows she has used Marcel shamefully, even though that's what he thought he was doing to her. Hi. What? Like. I, I get there is some sort of like she's she has Marcel yeah she's there getting something out of fulfi- it yeah, yeah yeah exactly she's fulfilling her sexual desires mm-hmm. through this man yeah but she used him shamefully when he's there yeah, yeah. shamefully <laughs> she's a prostitute <laughs> she's someone exploring her sexual desires and this man is like oh you need to be there every fucking day for me right. or I will go to your house and threaten your husband. Right. And shoot him in the face. Well. <laughs> Actually, not in the face, but... Yeah, well, might as well. Yeah. yeah. During during one of their, um, like, arguments, uh, Suffering and, and um, Marcel, he's, like, basically trying to... I don't know if he's trying to literally get her to leave her husband at this point mm-hmm. or just to be with her more... Um, right. With be him more, more available, in the evenings. yeah. And doesn't he even ask like do you love your husband and mm-hmm. she says yeah and he says well why are you here mm-hmm. and she says they're two different things mm-hmm. and i think that's an important line in the right. movie for sure mm-hmm. yeah and which until and until the Ro- ending happens yeah and and roger makes a note of that too you know about sex and love being sort of separate things like especially for severing like that mm-hmm. definitely is something and you know whether it's relating to processing trauma or whatever or you know but she definitely has established that for her those are separate elements in her life um yeah i don't know what roger's getting at with the <laughs> saying that Shamefully she's using controlling Marcel, or just, the gangster yeah i, I honestly she's, wonder she's, if it's no. if it's another situation like with the apu trilogy where he maybe he just misremembered it and like was writing it because he says he, he he wrote it after Doesn't watching he, say um, he had just watched it that night with his wife or something there, oh he, did he there's a couple there there's 
Is it in the Apu? There's one of the other essays, though, where he says, like, I just watched this and then proceeds to make, like, three factual errors. <laughs> I can't remember which one it was where he says, like, on a re- maybe it was a poo, but it's like a recent rewatch. Kind of like, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I can't remember. Well, God, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. A, a, the Pooh trilogy, he literally gets wrong which characters live and die in which movies. So, yeah. you know, sometimes he loses Yeah, so I, I wonder if he just... He he remembered most of the beats well, but didn't mm-hmm. remember this one very well. Yeah, that, that absolutely um, could be it. Writing about it like a month later. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, because I think it's a wrong reading. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to give him more credit. I than know. Because I, C- I think that's like. a... I, I think that's kind of a wild reading, yeah. to be honest. Like, it's so off base that I, I think... It, he might just be misremembering. It makes, it, I think Does maybe... He- he just misremembered and that that would make more sense than him being like that, that yeah than not having that opinion I, fair enough yeah. um uh did anyone want to finish off that paragraph with the the last comment I'll that, it. the the last <laughs> sentence on that paragraph that roger uh, <clears throat> says in after. the words of woody allen <laughs> oh, which contained oh, <laughs> as much despair as defiance the heart once what the heart wants. Woody Allen, despair and defiance. The heart wants what the heart wants. Yeah, that's his immediate Nick, follow-up. I, I can't even describe how big <laughs> Nick is, Nick's cringe is right now. It's like a full body cringe. Yeah. Like, I just don't want to. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to talk about Woody Allen later in this book. Yeah. Well, I only want. I only want to. I, I only want to do it once. I like. know. It's, it's fair. I, the only thing I'll add, and then we can move on, is that we did, we were talking about this pre-podcast, and did a little bit of digging just to see if there was any um, sort of maybe exculpatory context for that statement, and the answer no. is no. He is literally talking about uh, when he married his young stepdaughter, adopted daughter. So, you know. Yeah, just- I, I looked, I was like, I was like, maybe the second part of that quote is, and what the heart wants is Annie Hall, my right, age, my age-appropriate consenting my, girlfriend. Right. <laughs> no, sad. But all right, yeah, we we can save the Woody discussion for another time. But just the juxtaposition is just you're reading that paragraph and you're already like, Roger, no, what a weird take. And then you're like, oh no, oh god, and, don't use Woody Allen to justify this opinion. It's bad. I literally wrote, oh no. <laughs> yeah, oh no. <laughs> um, all right, so um, trying to remember. We're just about at the end here. Um, I will so say, who, yeah, we're. I before, think we're at like Husan. Right. I say before she leaves the brothel, um, Husan shows up finally, which was kind of like Chekhov's, like prostitute prostitute client because Chekhov's like, John. Yeah, he's the one who told her about this place, and so obviously he had been there, and so. And as we discussed at the beginning, um, he shows up and is just very upset and disappointed and to find shocked to find her there, um, you know, can't believe she's doing this and basically mm-hmm. says he's going to tell Pierre, right? That like, you're, I, I have to tell your husband about this. He talks about his principles. It's like, dude, I I know. Do you know, do you know where you are right now? You're not at a grocery store. Right. And that's kind of like we were saying, this part bummed me out a little because I thought he was just kind of a funny, if kind of skeezy character at the beginning, and I thought him telling her about the brothel was like a wink-wink, like, I see how, how you really are. But then mm-hmm. this final, like, him showing up at the end kind of undermines a lot of that, because one, seems to have not expected her to be there, and then, yeah, two, gets very much on his high horse about, like, his principles and doing the right thing, and it's like, 
<laughs> well, I think it's I think it's supposed to be showing like that hypocrisy yeah, of, of the the rich and idle who right. You know, he he will go to this place and apparently was a very popular. Like they're uh, so happy he's back. It's, he's there. been gone for a while, and they're all happy. It's been months, I think they say. Yeah, and he's like he he frequents it and mm-hmm. spends time there and enjoys it, but you know, he looks down on the people who work there, and uh, yeah. you just can't have it both ways, guy. Yep, yep, that is true. Um, <laughs> so, um. That's, I think that's the last time Severine is there. She basically mm. decides she needs to leave. This the, Now this has happened, plus Marcel is uh, threatening her. And um, he eventually, he like has someone follow her home or like someone follows her to her house. And he's just getting very um, aggressive. And he shows up and says, you know, calls her husband an obstacle and says that, you know, he's going to basically reveal her secret and expose her um and and he does wait for her husband to come home and Mm. like horrifying violence ensues which i don't know what i was expecting like obviously this dude was dangerous and violent um but yeah marcel shoots him takes off running and then gets shot dead and he's taken out it did strike me as like he says, here's the obstacle, and then leaves. I do like that he calls her Severine when he mm-hmm. leaves. Like, he's yeah. been trying to get her name, and finally, like, you know he got her name, and it's right. kind of like Belle du Jour and Severine kind of blurring. Exactly. It's just kind of like what she was afraid of. She was trying to keep these lives so separate, and now it's mm-hmm. all coming, crashing down together. Yeah. So he's, like, you know, this is my obstacle. Mm-hmm. Um, I assumed it would take longer than presumably uh Right. What, f- 15 minutes or so? Right, yeah, it really... Uh... In real lifetime, not movie time. It's right. just like, immediately. Like, literally, yeah, exactly. Like, literally, okay, I'm going to take care of this. Yeah. Yeah, I do think I can imagine a version of this movie, because the movie's not that long. I think it's like an hour 40. Um, mm. I can imagine a version of this movie that's about 20 minutes longer, and the whole final sort of ish, like, Marcel sequence drags out longer, where... She's trying to avoid him or she's trying to keep Pierre safe and what are they going to do? And But no, none, none of that. He basically just says, I'm going to take care of it. And he, uh, he takes care, takes of, care it. of it. Um, ends up dead for his trouble. And poor, poor, sad Pierre <laughs> meets like this absolutely horrifying fate where he um, survives, um, is in a coma and does recover. But when we see him at the end at home with Severine, is paralyzed and blind like he's not it's not exactly like sort of locked in syndrome but like he is just it's not much of a life for poor pierre it seems close though because he's he's also presumably aphasic yeah i don't think he 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 doesn't talk at all right yeah he he can't really do a lot right and severine you know says she's going to take care of him and she does seem devoted like that she has brought him home and is going to care for him whatever that is going to entail Mm -hmm. um but then the film ends on this really like sad fantasy sequence now where this final uh, final fantasy where the ultimate fantasy she has at the end of the movie is pierre's fine and he stands up and he's happy Mm -hmm. and you know asks her what she's thinking about and she's about you pierre 
and it's you know this beautiful life they could have had uh, but did not have the chance and then that's that's it for Severine and Pierre yeah. <laughs> and Dylan is so, not feeling it in the in the book apparently um, she confesses okay. to Pierre and right. then he never like I don't I don't know like to what degree he's injured in the book but apparently he just never speaks to her again oh wow okay that um, would be an interesting ending yeah, in it this makes more sense than dickhead coming in and him, her being super cool with him telling him. Yeah. And then this weird dramatic tear coming out of a comatose man. Well, I don't think he's comatose <laughs> though. Yeah, he's, he's not comatose anymore. No, no. When when uh, he's in a coma in the hospital, but when you get out. I don't want to like dive too deep in the medical, the medical specific oh, medical spe- okay, I... but he's he is no longer in a coma. <laughs> okay. He just but like we're saying it's unclear. He's presumably conscious. Yeah. But okay. if he can't gotcha. see or talk or move, right? That's that's rough stuff. So I like the Husan thing, and mm-hmm. um, it's at first like while he's saying what he's doing, I'm like this. This fucking asshole. Like, uh-huh. what is this guy doing? Like, just leave well enough alone and stay the fuck out. Uh-huh. Um, but what he does, like, he's doing it basically as a mission of mercy, and it's it's not a bad one because, like, and he explains this. This isn't me like reading uh-huh. into it. Um, Pierre's the rest of his life. He's going to feel like he is a burden on his beautiful young wife who he adored Mm -hmm. and now she's going to be stuck um dealing with him Mm -hmm. so husan is just leveling the playing field a little bit it's like Like, trying to set him set him free from any guilt he might have which is like yeah look don't feel bad she did this to you (laughs) so yeah don't feel bad about being a burden on her is what he's thinking yeah yeah so like maybe what he's doing is harsh on severine but when you look at it for how like how much maybe not better but less worse pierre's existence mm-hmm. will be after that it's not that dickish a thing for him to do i don't yeah. think yeah which is in- which is interesting because you know when you see him in the scene before you think oh is this guy gonna tell pierre like mm-hmm. oh god like, oh no what a, yeah what a, what a dick but this time but like when he actually does end up telling him it's like yeah i guess good for you mm-hmm. i don't know or at least like not bad for you uh, right I don't know. It's kind of like a complex thing, which I enjoy. Like, it's not really clear cut if it's good or bad. I yeah. don't know. I, I like that bit. Yeah, um, I completely hate the entire message of the movie, which is like, oh no, if you delve too deep into your sexual fantasies, you'll wreck your house. And then all you'll do is pine to be a, a housewife. Oh no. I mean,. So that's what happens, so... but I don't know if that's. I mean, I don't. It's know. It's a cautionary what, tale. I don't no, know what the moral. I, I say. I don't. I don't think that's. Yeah, I yeah. don't think that's what I, they're saying. I think maybe the uh, alternative take is just that it's cynical. It's just not that like. Yeah. yeah. Not that any of this was deserved, but just more of the like, oh, cruel world kind of thing. I don't know that he's saying that any of them deserved it. You don't think that they're like it. a mirroring fantasy of like she at the beginning all she wanted was a sexual like fantasy and then she got her sexual I mean, fantasy that led to the death of her husband and then she, okay. all she can do is pine for being a housewife i mean 
I don't, it's I don't like, think that's a coincidence. Appreciate what you have. But that's. I think that's but a appreciating fair... what you have in unhappiness is. But she would have been happy. I mean, everyone wants what they can't have, right? And so I mm. think maybe it's more just again, you know, I don't think that's I don't fine, think it's saying just... that she's deserving it, but maybe it's just that that's human nature. Is she had this thing, she wanted something more, she got something more. It you know was that, sort of cursed because of it and then all she then yeah, in the yeah. end she wanted what she had before and i think that's sh- whether or not it's tied into sort of being shamed for From her the sexual gaze. proclivities yeah I, I i do get that um but i i did just read it more as like that's that's life man that's that's human nature <laughs> that's how these yeah things that's go. that's what i think it is and i have a couple points um to kind of back that up but mm-hmm. So I think the very end, well, uh, one, apparently the book is, is that like the book is very moralizing supposedly, um, about this is her punishment for having done this thing. Um, and I, I just don't get the sense that Boone well really cares about punishment. He doesn't seem the type to be that, um, like puritanical or that like vindictive against uh, his he, characters. From what in I that way. read about him, he was very purita- puritanical against the sex, especially homosexuality, against women being hypersexual. And I, I don't see that at all. Like with I mean, both you don't this see that movie... at all. But like, th- at least the stuff I was reading, this was something that he personally felt, especially against homosexuality. Well, so if this, whole th- thing, I mean that. Yeah, like, I I haven't seen, like, he doesn't portray homosexuality in this movie. Well, as he yeah. sort of does a little bit, but... I mean, they um, kind of imply that the madam is... Yeah, yeah. But, but like, re- in regards to his views on sex, I mean, between this and uh, Lodge Door, I don't get that sense at all from him. Um, and then I, I, I think that the very end of this movie um, kind of... I don't know, helps contradict that criticism of it where you get like two endings, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so I I wrote this down because in the commentary, Michael Wood, who wrote the BFI book on this, he says um, he describes it as the the, so the happy ending is um, Severine suppose like, I guess, imagines that her husband gets up. Mm hmm. Uh, like does he get up does he not actually get up it's not really important it's like the top spinning at right. the end of inception uh, but, <laughs> but what he says about it is uh, the happy ending would be too easy the hard ending would be too hard so Bunuel shows both and then this is a quote from Bunuel um, he said in the end the real and the imaginary dissolve into each other I myself couldn't say what is real and what is imaginary in the film for me they form a single thing and I think that's like uh, like Hmm. That's representative yeah. yeah i think it's representative of like how you're supposed to interpret this movie it's it's like the interpretation of the ending is like that box it's like does it really even matter mm-hmm. um it's it's not the happy ending it's not the sad ending it's both at the same time but i think both come to the same point which is it's better to be like what's the word but like pure than to explore your sexual fantasy because in either one in the negative one it's you ruin your household and i, I mean 
not like literally you have your boyfriend almost killed but like he is physically emotionally whatever hurt and the other one it's oh you realize it was not good and all you do is pine and be like oh i'm just thinking of you i'll be a housewife now i mean i do think and so like, i don't think like both seem rooted in like the same sort of like male director stupidity that like oh the sexual teens in a slasher movie must die first and and the pure virgin is the one that survives it's it just it really gives off that same gross energy to me I mean, that, like high judgment my only counter to sort of the idea that like she has to like that she is being punished or that the fact that she did this now has ruined her relationship um, is that the part that we do see where it for a while does improve her relationship because she's having mm. these experiences. It's allowing her to deal with whatever her issues are. And it imp- I mean, if Marcel had never shown up, <laughs> like it's really the, it's right. really the gangster violence that ruins their lives. I think what it's saying lives, is like at because... some point it's going to come back to haunt you, even though sure. it, it, it starts helping things in the middle. Sure. But I think, so it's better to just, I don't know. But I don't. I don't feel like the movie's blaming Severine for what happens. Like maybe, like in a kind of domino effect, uh, it is her fault in a way. But I mean, she certainly didn't like pull the trigger. Right. Uh, like no. she's she's clearly a, a victim in all of this. Mm-hmm. I I just think it's things will come back to haunt you, and I don't like the way that's portrayed. I guess is what I'll say. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't get the sense that Boonwell is judging her at all, especially like throughout the course of the film. It seems very like positive uh, of her exploration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's I guess uh, I was just very negative on Boonwell and the yeah the portrayals <laughs> throughout the movie. So the ending was just maybe, maybe one of more one of the movie. one of the bonus things on Criterion is by. Um, let me let me look up her name but uh she yeah her name is Susie bright she's a sexual politics activist and writer apparently um and her take on it and she says like no one would ever call boonwell a feminist director but like conversely no one would ever say he's Mm anti-feminist um and her take on the end of this is like she basically got away with it which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I totally agree, but yeah, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting take. Yeah, it's an well, interesting take for sure. In, what's in? I'm so sort of one last thing on the ending because I'm looking now at the Criterion essay, which is up on Criterion.com to read if you don't happen to have it. Um, and it talks about you know describing. Well, I'll just read what it says. It's and this is by. Let me credit her words, Melissa Anderson. Um, and she says, Severine's relationship with Marcel will lead to Pierre's ruin. Or does it? The ambiguous ending of Belle de Jour suggests that everything that preceded it may have existed only in the heroine's cracked dreamscape. Like the buzzing box, the film's final scene is whatever you want it to be. Um, and then goes on to basically say, you know, Deneuve transcends. Um, and I, I like that take I, I did not read it as ambiguous when i watched it i will say i thought for me i was just like oh this happened and now she's imagining how the w- world would be better if it hadn't i think i like it better imagining it ambiguous but for all my confusion earlier in the movie about whether or not things were happening at least the ending for me i was like oh no this happened 
and mm. she just wishes he would get up and walk away. But again, this is another reason why I will watch it again at some point because I'd like to watch it more of an eye and be like, is it possible that that entire, like, that really it could have had a happy ending and she just imagined all that violence? Um, I think that's interesting. Yeah, I think one of the readings is that um, when she hears the gunshots, mm-hmm. um, she's she it wakes her from a nap. She's like on the couch right. and wakes up. So one of the readings is is all of all that, that a dream, a dream, and yeah. that's sort of like the type of question that I'm not that interested. Yes, in. yeah, I. So, um, it calls to mind um, back in the day, like cracked.com articles you know yeah. how like, right like or reddit, which, reddit right, or reddit or reddit threads it's it's the same thing which is basically like 10 movies that might have secretly been a dream the whole time um yeah. and don't get me wrong like i don't mind reading that stuff and especially when i was younger i was like oh whoa that's so cool but now it just drives it i think like it all of us it's just cool. it's so annoying me it's like too. that's not like that's not yeah. that's not a thing just <laughs> not what everything has think- to have been a dream yeah what i do think is about what is interesting about like that type of ending is not so like the top and inception Mm -hmm. you know people will make like long essay Mm -hmm. reddit posts or youtube videos about like does the top fall and here's like all the signs if you look at this in the background yeah Yeah. Cobb's totem is this actually and not the top Mm -hmm. and blah blah and what i think is a better like or for me a more interesting way to look at is not like whether or not the top falls mm-hmm. it's does it matter like right. or what what is what is the depiction of that mean for the movie so like in inception um because i rewatched this semi recently when he spins it he walks away and doesn't even bother to look right. at it again. which is the that's point what, of the end yeah, he doesn't yeah, that's, need it anymore that, that's what's interesting what's interesting it's not whether or not it falls it's that he doesn't care if it falls right um so in this one it's not really about whether or not pierre is you know healthy or not yeah right right it's it's about like what is it what does it mean that these are the two options Mm -hmm. um right and what she's been left with right and and like per boonwell if we take him at his word which i don't I'm kind of like death of the author type, but sure, I think yeah. I think what he says is insightful that uh, they're both real, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like both are true. They f- they they are both the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like how I feel about endings like that in general, and specifically this one. Mm-hmm. I I think it fits really well. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what do you guys think about the carriage at the end? Like we see the carriage book ended right. again. Right. She looks out the window and sees the carriage and mm-hmm. now it's empty right yeah i mean I'll, I'll use the quote that i said for the usual suspects review just to the point i don't care <laughs> you, I don't. You, you feel like roger even felt about usual suspects which is to the point i don't understand i don't care um, yeah but then i i when I, with the usual suspects i i just altered it a little bit to just something that i felt which was just to the point i don't care i just don't, I don't care, care. <laughs> and there was a part in the movie where it had lost me it was probably mainly with the, f- the first flashback, but there was stuff sprinkled throughout that just by the end, I was kind of like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Not, I, this isn't my movie. I, I liked the having the carriage come back at the end. Um, I, I liked it as a through line throughout and that kind of like the recurring motif with the cats and the references to cats and the meowing and stuff that it's just, 
not explained and mm-hmm. it adds to the sort of like you were saying the the whole sense of that ending which is just you know doesn't really matter what's happening this is just her life and her experience and for whatever reason that is never really established it's just the carriage has been representative throughout of her psyche basically so i i liked it coming back at the end yeah one idea i had and i don't know how much i really believe this but something i thought is like does it mean that like the first time we see the carriage it's her and pierre and Mm -hmm. she has this fantasy right and now since they're not in it does she like not really need the fantasies anymore right that's why yeah now that it's empty and sort of like go driving away or turning home (laughs) yeah i i i like that i mean i don't like i said i don't know i don't know if boonwell knew um but i like that take yeah so good movie yeah i enjoyed it (laughs) thanks (laughs) thanks for watching it i know i can't wait to talk about body heat i think that's gonna be so i fun. really can't i i mean it's i came in here very strong with my opinions mm-hmm. but i'm ready to just talk about a movie i like <laughs> i yeah. really fucking hated them <laughs> i really hope bicycle thieves rewatch is just like i, I say, did love it before i love it more even this time you hope it doesn't do like but, the, um, the ali direction where on rewatch you go just, a little uh, i still love ali it's just right it was it was disappointing Sure. Um, but yeah, no, next week, uh, big, but, big but villain energy fair, next week. But to be fair, I had this movie at a three and a half out of five on Letterboxd. You did. Because I, I... That actually seems high considering your... Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I remember not being super, like, blown away by it, but I remember mm-hmm. it being like, oh, it's well made, it's well acted, it's got all the facets. And I come away from this, like... It is well acted, specifically by um, Genevieve Page and Catherine Deneuville. I think I'm getting those names right. Yeah, um, it is. It, it it looks good, and I hate everything else about it. <laughs> and I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm real. I'm, I'm, I just can we just talk about Bicycle Thieves right now? <laughs> I've never seen it, so we're gonna have to wait so that I can watch it and then be all grumpy next week because it was sad and you made me watch a sad movie. Oh yeah, well, I don't think there's anyone hanging in it at least. God, we'll yeah, see. Right. Don't don't make any promises that you can't keep. Uh, I, we were watching The Crown last night, and um, it, it's the one where Townsend shows up briefly in season two. Do you guys remember this? No, I didn't watch The Crown. Oh, anyway. One character dates another person, they break up at the end of season one. Okay. At season two, they briefly show up, and she's a, kind of dating another person. My mom got confused. It's the person that she was dating with. And I was like, no, he doesn't show up in this sto- in this episode. Turns out the whole episode was about them being married. Oh. <laughs> so you uh, don't yeah, always remember I, exactly. All I remember was this little B-plot about Elizabeth being pregnant, and I thought that was the entire episode. Yeah. And, <laughs> That happens to so, me on stuff that I've seen Don't trust my before. memory right now about things. I but. will not. I don't know if we want, if there's, if anyone had any other Roger quotes they wanted to talk about. When no. We, at wrapping up I here. Didn't, I didn't even circle a single thing. I feel like we've. Okay, yeah, go ahead. I feel like we've talked about a lot, but go ahead, Nick. Um, and this, this is just another, like, this is what I've kind of been saying in my take on this movie. It's what's in the box. He's talking about, like, the little, the, the mm-hmm. Asian guy's mm-hmm. sex box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's in the box? <laughs> 
in, insert the, Brad comes out really direct what's with in that. the box. Uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. What's in the box, the literal truth doesn't matter. The symbolic truth, which is all Boonwell cares about, is that it contains something of great erotic importance to the client. Um, and that's uh, how I feel about the ending, too. Yeah. Yeah, no, I also had that marked down. Um, and I think we've talked about everything else that I had noted here. Um, I will say one line that I thought was well written, although I don't know if I agree with it necessarily in sentiment, um, <laughs> where he says that he describes Belle de Jour as being probably the best known erotic film of modern times and possibly the best. And he says that's because it understands eroticism from the inside out, understands how yeah, it I exists, no. not in sweat and skin, but in the imagination. Um, I like that the last part, like the understands how it exists, not in sweat yep. and skin, but in the imagination. I think that's a great um, sort yes. of uh, analysis. But even I don't know. I, I very much enjoyed the movie. I don't know that I would say it understands eroticism from the inside out. But, you know, that's all right. Yeah. Um, there's, so there's actually one thing that um, I wanted to mention earlier and it slipped my mind. The uh, writer, apparently, um, they were asked how they came up with the fantasy sequences mm -hmm. and he's like oh those are all told to us by women we wouldn't we didn't want to like mm -hmm. try to guess yeah. and get it wrong yeah. so those are all, all supposedly all the fantasies were were yeah. like r real fantasies yeah, of, that of, they like, of women yeah yeah no i mean i i believe that and i that's at least good to hear sort of that they were like, well, let's, let's do some surveying and, and not try mm. to just make up out of whole cloth uh, something that's going <laughs> to survey says. Yeah, exactly. Just, just do a survey. Um, so that's good at least. Uh -huh. All right. So Dylan, where did you land on thumbs up, thumbs down? Where, where did this fall in the divide? Oh, our first thumbs down. <laughs> Is that our first thumbs down? That's our wow. first thumbs down. I yeah. really hate this. <laughs> So much. Hey, and you were so. I worried. honestly now wish that um, Nick gave the apartment a thumbs down because I've I really hate being the first thumbs down. <laughs> I, I, you were so was, worried about us liking everything too much, so you know. I was thinking a few days ago actually that um, my three stars was too generous for the apartment. I really should have <laughs> only given you. it two. <laughs> and a half. But, I like I I regret having been. Uh, Guilted into uh, to be fair, I regret being talked into Apocalypse Now being a three and a half out of four. I was gonna uh. say, I was gonna, I, I was gonna bring up. I'm like, you went so soft on Apocalypse Now compared to what you were expecting. I know. So you were due to. Uh... It's a, it's a, it's. I would say it's a strong three out of four. Yeah. For, in my book. For uh, very good movie. For Apocalypse Now. So. Um, I also it's... feel like my 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 reviews like after a couple weeks um, sort of regressed to the mean, whereas like after I rate something on letterboxd mm -hmm. it's like too far on one end yeah like when yeah. i look at it a few days later i'm like eh. yeah I, I probably could adjust this yeah um yeah thumbs up from me and thumbs up from nick presumably oh yeah yeah, yeah. for sure two thumbs up yeah so yeah two thumbs up <laughs> um all right i how many stars nick from you out of four i'm gonna go three and a half yeah, I'm a little bit lower. I, I'm three out of four, but like a strong three, three, three mm -hmm. and a quarter, three plus. And Dylan, how many, how many stars? One and a half. One and a half. Wow. 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 <laughs> wow. I, I detest this movie. <laughs> you've, you've got, 
We've gotten like angrier about it too as we've gone on. I think. I, but that's okay. Not it's you know, like not everything. It had inertia. Everyone. I had the anger the whole time I was watching that movie last night. I'm I'm really interested to see. I will say, in terms of just our progress, guys, we finished. This is the end of the first page of the uh, table of contents that we are through. Hey! On the book. Nice. So you flip over to a new page here. Um, yeah, I'm curious to see if we get to something that I don't like that I that makes me angry. Um, I mean, that could be. I the... hope not, because I really enjoyed it more when I was. <laughs> the bitch. Oh, I'm kind of. I know. I just haven't really. I haven't disliked anything yet, but I, I don't know. There, there I, are, I, do I don't think I could hate blow up in body heat more than that. I doubt it. I, don't I re- know. like. I really don't. Even if it's not for me, right? I really don't think I can hate it more than Belle de Jour. Looking I at really the entire, you might hate blow up. You might hate. Yeah. I, I I might dislike blow up, but I really I I didn't even expect JFK to be a one and a half out of four, and I know I dislike that you movie. Have JFK coming up. I'm looking at the whole next section, which starts with Bicycle Thief and goes all the way to Gates of Heaven. Um, yeah, and I don't see anything that I'm like, worried I might hate Bicycle other than having to spend Gates. 10 hours of my life watching the Decalogue, which um, <laughs> is starting is going to be a uh, a tough one. But yeah, otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I've seen all but two of these. In here. I was going to say, I don't know anything about the Exterminating Angels. Is which that the Boonwell? I... Haven't seen the exterminating. Oh, angel, good! So, so you might have you might have that to look forward to. I am excited for it. Yeah, it sounds you'll, like you'll a, like a that Twilight more than this. Yeah, but you know, I don't like surrealism too much. You don't. That's you'll true. like it more than this, though. I I really have to assume I'd have to. Yeah, at least more than this. I'm sorry, you guys. Don't I'm be really sorry. sorry. <laughs> I no, don't no, be you sorry. should be. <laughs> <laughs> or or you, do Nick. or do be sorry. No, it's uh, it's more fun to have a debate about these things sometimes. So, hold on. Well, while we're still on air, I'm gonna pull up calculator real quick and just see how much <laughs> my one and a half is gonna bring us down. Affected it. Um, wow. From how much it di- is different than like a three point two five. Yeah. yeah. Or just like what the letterboxd review is going to be. Um, while you're doing that, I will just reiterate that next week is bicycle. Is it bicycle thieves or the bicycle thief? What this is the is answer a to this question? This is long-standing Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair Debate. enough. It's it's one way on letterbox. It's a different way in the book. I so I'm going to say bicycle thieves. Um, that is next week. Something I would like to try to do is to let people know where they could maybe find these movies. I know people, oh, yeah, everyone yeah. has a Google. Um, but uh, Bicycle Thieves is available streaming on Criterion, and it's rentable on Amazon, among other rental places. So um, Belle de Jour is on Criterion and also on HBO Max right now. So um, in case anyone... It is very Unless anyone's made it this far, has not watched the movie, and wants to watch the movie for some reason. You should. Which, as someone... You shouldn't. I'm someone who listens to podcasts all the time about movies I haven't seen, so... You know, I never do. That's I do. you're weird about I your am, spoiler. I don't care about yeah. spoilers for the most part, unless, <laughs> unless like someone again tells me, you know, or if, like if I know it's like a mystery movie or something, and I know I'm gonna see it, that's one thing. But otherwise, eh, I don't care. Yeah, Bicycle Thieves is also on a Canopy right now. Oh, yeah. okay. Actually, so so oh, is Belle okay. Yeah. Um, I think we should hold off on whether we're gonna decide it's gonna be called Bicycle Thief. Or bicycle thieves because 
there's there's theories. implications. Oh goodness. Okay. Mm. All and right. so we'll we'll decide that later. Um, I mean, literally. What do you guys? What does it say on the screen? Like, <laughs> why is there a debate I, I about think, this? So I think the Italian title is plural. Okay. Um, but it was translated initially in America as thief. Okay. Gotcha. And then it wasn't until like more recently that people are like actually no, just call go back thief. to the original. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's like a bigger story to it that like uh-huh. I don't care. I, about. I do have a very close Italian friend of mine, and I'll ask them if if they, if if that is true. Sure. What, what they what they would translate it? What do, what do you guys think the letterbox score is? Given how low I rated this movie, I'm really bad at math. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I'm not going to do that kind of math in my head. Three, don't, don't, three out of don't five. Don't do the math. Three out of five. Three and a half. Oh, okay. So it's actually not even that I'll low. Take it. I was going to say that's actually yeah. fine. Which I'm, is what I'm you gave it on Changing it to a one star just so it could be a three out of five. No. <laughs> Don't game the I'm system, Dylan. I'm just <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. No, it's a one and a half. It's not like it is very well acted, and oh. it looks generally good. So I have. We are about to sign off. I have one final note, just because that I wanted to mention, because it was the very first note I took watching the movie last night. Did you guys notice that in the opening credits, it's going through all the opening credits, and it's obviously all in French because it's all in French. But there was someone who was credited as Script Girl, like no, I <laughs> literally. No, I, I... Well, there was some in the opening credits. It was like it's listing all the members of the crew with French titles, and then one person's crew position was listed as Script Girl, and I was like. That's weird. I should figure out why that is, but I didn't, and it made me laugh. All right, that was my final note. Anything else to add? Or have we set our piece on this I, movie? I, I need to move on. All I'm right. done. <laughs> Let Dylan stop thinking about Belle de Jour. Move on to movies I like. All right, so... Uh, Don't have hot takes on. <laughs> Script Girl apparently is a term. I mean, uh, I, I figured it must be. I it, figured... It says, up until the late 30s and 40s, the script supervisor in the American film and television industry was typically called the continuity clerk, skip, script reader, or script girl. Script um, girl. <laughs> so I guess France is a little behind the times. I was say they kept doing Still that using this in the late <laughs> 1960s. Yeah, that's pretty funny. All right. Well, I'm glad we solved that mystery. Um, <laughs> thank you to everyone for joining us this week. Um, as we discussed, next week we'll be talking about bicycle thief slash thieves um and until then you can follow us on both twitter and letterboxd at great movies pod we want to thank as always our friend scott brady for our artwork and you can follow him on twitter at s brady artist and that is it for us this week (laughs) roger out yes roger Roger out guys (laughs) good movie and when i go to the movies I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people.